Today's reading is from 1 Kings, chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for the Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And our second reading is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other.
William Wallace was a Scottish knight in the 13th century, and he was the main leader in the war for Scottish independence. He uh, defeated the English army at the Battle of Stirling Bridge in 1297. And he was the guardian of Scotland until his eventual defeat, uh, which culminated in 1305, with his being handed over to the English and uh, being hung, drawn, and quartered. Uh, I think in many ways, Wallace has been um, kind of revered a little by some. Um, I think the English would probably see him a bit more as a sort of Ned Kelly kind of character. But um, the motivation for Wallace was to bring freedom for his people. And uh, the idea that I want us to look at today is uh, for freedom forever. You might see on screen there, there's a picture of our very own Mel Gibson. Uh, this is in the movie version of the story of Wallace, Braveheart. So I imagine there was a little bit of um, redaction in terms of the story, but certainly uh, it was very memorable. And uh, his desire, of course, was for there to be freedom for Scotland to self-govern. But when you get freedom, what do you do with it? What is freedom for? Because we're moving from this idea of from flesh to freedom into freedom for what? And this is the transition point that we're going to look at together with Paul and the implications of what he writes for the Galatians and for us in terms of the Word of God. I think that we are blessed in our nation. We are built on a Judeo-Christian ethic and context. We have the blessing of many freedoms, freedom of religion, speech, association, assembly, and movement, but none of that is, of course, constitutionally enshrined. That all comes through legislation. And what I see increasingly, and I expect for us as Christians in Australia, is that we're going to need to pray more and spend more time in deeper reflection about the implications of individual moral preferencing that is influencing our society as things change. But also to think about what it means for us as free Christians, and of course many of our brothers and sisters around the world do not enjoy our freedoms, what it means for us in terms of why are we free? And Paul takes us to a really precious and significant place, which is that we are free, that we might do life to love others, and in doing so, love God. You remember how we're on this journey through Galatians? Um, I've got on screen a little mistake. I do apologize for this, but I forgot to move the number two. I oh, know we're all good. If we could come, uh, come forward into the, uh, the next one. Thank you. Um, the gospel of the crucified Messiah, chapters 1 and 2, creates a new multi-ethnic family, Galatians 3 and 4, but we are now in chapters 5 and 6, which should be highlighted on screen, transformed by the Spirit of God. Not to indulge ourselves in political freedoms, but rather to leverage the freedom that we have in loving others. I'm going to lead us in prayer because God's Spirit is with us as His people, and we very much need to press into Him to be able to achieve that. So would you join me as we bow our heads before our Father God? Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Gospel of the crucified Messiah that creates a new multi-ethnic family transformed by Your Holy Spirit. Thank You, Father, 
that you have given us freedom from flesh, freedom from the sinful nature, though it continues to uh, be a part of our lives, we know that it is not ruling us in the way that it once did. And so we pray that you would help us not to be led into new forms of slavery, uh, rather like the Galatians were being enticed into a new form of law-keeping beyond grace, nor imagining that we might indulge the freedom we have for our own good and be fully licensed to things that would be displeasing to you. Help us, Father, by the power of your Spirit at work in us to bring honor to the name of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, so you remember, of course, Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, and he has told them of this gospel that has brought freedom for them. And he was deeply troubled by these Judaizers who were coming in and saying, yes, isn't it great that you've heard this gospel of grace, but there's just a little more that you need to add to make sure that you're right with God. Just a little more to add to make sure that you're still in good relationship with God. And in the words of Mel Gibson, if I might do this for a moment, I can imagine Paul saying, I'll never let them take away your freedom. So he wrote this letter. And in doing so, Paul says that to go back to the Jewish ceremonial customs for the Jewish Galatian it is a return to slavery. And to adopt Jewish ceremonial customs for the Gentile Galatians is a new form of slavery that, that they've never had to look at before. And so Paul says to do anything like this would be slavery, and he doesn't want them to be in that space. He says that the perfect freedom of a follower of Jesus Messiah is to enjoy the gift of the Holy Spirit of God who enables them and indeed us, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus, who lived in perfect obedience to the law. By grace through faith, we trust him, but his spirit is with us. And his spirit is the one who enables us to live in a way that reflects the life of Jesus. Big idea of the sermon really is freedom from flesh for life, but it's based on that verse that we've been tic-tacking with the whole way through in chapter 5, verse 1, where it says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So my first point, there's three points this morning, is to look at verses 2 to 6, and that's freedom from law and license. Freedom from law and license. Now, if you set your minds back, for some of us, this is closer than others. Um, you used to do science classes, right? My kids did science classes, and I, I just love science classes because you got to play with like Bunsen burners and chemicals and do experiments and all that kind of stuff. And one of the very early ones I remember is when we had this flask, and you just had to pour in oil into water experiments became more sophisticated, but, but this is a powerful illustration, I think, because what happens with oil and water in the same flask? They don't mix, that's right. There's a little image here just to show us what it looks like. They will not go together. And Paul says, mark my words, I, I, I Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Paul's words in this section describe the hopelessness of keeping God's law. Paul was the world's best lawkeeper, but he dumped all lawkeeping for Jesus. 
And these Judaizers are bringing back the ceremonial law of circumcision, which Paul had dumped. And so Paul, in essence, is saying that adding to faith in Christ alone means that they'll lose Christ altogether. In fact, I heard it put really well this week, that Christ supplemented is Christ supplanted. In other words, Jesus will offer infinite help to those who trust him by faith, but those who look to the law in even one little thing compromise what Jesus has done. Jesus has paid it all. But I say, I just need to add this little bit. And the moment that I say that there's something by way of my effort or works, it invalidates everything else. That's kind of all or nothing, isn't it? That's oil and water. The two do not mix because faith and works for salvation are utterly contradictory. And just so that we're clear, if you're somebody who has not yet put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is all it takes to be right with God. To wholeheartedly throw yourself upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus on the cross is the way of salvation, as we've been saying in weeks preceding. It's not about what we do or about what anybody does, but what the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, has done for us already. And so Paul goes on to say in verses 4 to 5, you who are trying to be justified by the law, you've been alienated from Christ. Indeed, you've fallen away from grace. Being righteous is being right before God. Being justified is being declared just by God. You're either unrighteous or you're righteous. You're either justified or you're condemned. And these things do not mix and it is all about what God has done through his son Jesus, his grace alone, and our faith in his grace. And Paul unpacks this for the Galatians uh, here, but also in another book, another letter that he wrote to the Romans in chapter 8, he unpacks this uh, in another way. He says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The hope that we have is through faith in Jesus and now the Spirit whom he has sent to be in us. The law has no saving power in and of itself. You remember we had the illustration of the plumb line, the dead straight line of the law. All that serves to do is show the crookedness of your life and mine compared to it but there was one who lived in perfect accordance with the law of God, and his name was Jesus. And that is why we put our faith in him, the one who was fully God and the one who was fully man. And now, says Paul, when you have your faith in Jesus, faith will express itself through love. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. I've not said this publicly yet, but I do just want to have a little disclaimer because it came up in conversation with the ministry team this week. Men, some of you will be circumcised and some of you will be not. Let me just say, it's neither here nor there. Some people get circumcised as a matter of family tradition. Some people get circumcised out of a matter of medical necessity. The point is, it simply is neither here nor there. So if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, the point that Paul's making is, 
That's not the issue. So you can go away peaceful if you have any of that material thing going on in your body. What he says is, it's neither here nor there in terms of what is required. Only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The Gideons, I think, are a marvelous movement. They give away Bibles for free. Actually, you and I pay for those Bibles, but it's a gift to people. The Word of God goes into hospitals, goes into schools, but do you know what? The numbers are up these days, aren't they, on people who say, no, I don't want a Bible. Because some people consider this book to be a bad book. This is not a bad book. This is a good book. This is the best book. This is the book that does not give me a rule book on how I should live, but it is a book that says to me, you can't live God's way. It's not possible for you to live God's way. But what it does do is it tells me that God did send his son to live God's way, to live according to the law, and he lived it out perfectly because he was God in the flesh. And I've seen on a number of occasions this illustration that I'll share with you is that here we are broken by sin, and so because of God's law and perfect expectation, there's a, a, a gap, there's a, a baggage between us and God. The sin that we do that is a falling short of the law means that there's something between us and God. But in comes Jesus, the perfect Son of God, and He lived in perfect accordance with the Word of God, with the law of God, and so there was never a barrier between Him and His Father in heaven. And so Jesus, the perfect man, the perfect God, who took our sins upon Himself, makes it possible for us now to have a right relationship with God because He took the just punishment from God against our sins that we deserved. Have you heard that illustration before? That now we are right with God. We can have a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. But I was reflecting this week on this illustration and thought this falls short of the reality for the lived experience for those who follow Jesus, doesn't it? Because we love the Word of God. How does that work? Well, I think it works like this. In prayerful dependence upon God, and trusting in his Holy Spirit that Jesus sent when he ascended, we now, as his church, come together and walk together with the Spirit in such a way that we love the Word of God and we do try to keep his good Word, but not in our own strength, with the help of his Spirit that Jesus sent, so that together we might journey under the Word of God and be drawn closer to God our Father in heaven, in the name of his Son, in the power of his Spirit, that we might one day go to be with him. Does that make sense? This is a good book. Helped by the Spirit, I learned to love the law of God, and with him I learned to live out the law of God. Circumcision, neither here nor there. Jewish customs, neither here nor there. Anything you can think of that would add to your salvation, drop it. Because what it means to live is to live out faith through love for the glory of God and for the good of others. And so Paul goes on to say in verses 7 to 12, you keep running the good race. Have you ever run a race and had somebody cut in on you? You ever had anybody cut in on you at all? Like, I, I, one thing that really bugs me is cues. I love cues. I'm an Englishman. We have a national sport of queuing, and we are very good at it. Um... 
the Americans are quite good at queuing as well, but what I've noticed when I've been to airports and places like that is that they stay in line because there's people walking around with guns. Actually, if you go to some countries, I found that when I was queuing in China, the queue is a crowd. And basically, whoever gets first and makes the most noise seems to get the attention. There's different ways of queuing, right? Actually, the English, we're really good at cutting people in politely. No, you go, you go. No, 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 please, you, you go, you go. And we, we never get there. But um, it, when <laughs> these days somebody cuts in at a queue, it does kind of annoy me. You know, if you're running a race and somebody cuts into you, it really puts you off your stride. Cyclists amongst us, somebody, that's going to be really dangerous, can't it? If somebody cuts in and your bike goes and all the bikes fall over like dominoes. You've seen the, um, the racing cars when one of those crashes? It's all over, isn't it? Car after car after car. Paul's saying that there's a real danger when you cut in on that that can be catastrophic for a community. And the concern that Paul has right here is that they have been cutting on with a lie. He said, you were running a good race, Galatians, but who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? This lie that the Judaizers had brought in was of such significance that it was a challenge to their very salvation. Just briefly, and I really could expand upon this story, but um, many years ago, Adolf Hitler wrote in Mein Kampf, in 1925, uh, a big lie. It related to um, some events in the First World War and um, the fact that Erich Ludendorff uh, was responsible for Germany's loss in the World War I. At least that's what he said. And he, he attributed that to the Jews. He said the Jews were telling a big lie about Ludendorff. And long story short, essentially, he used what he said was a lie, which uh, sorry, what he, he, he said was a lie. Uh, he began to propagate an even bigger lie in relation to the Jews. And he basically leveraged that to say that um, uh, the, Hitler's real big lie, his false accusations about the Jews having this big lie, uh, he made it up so that the lie would become so colossal, as he put it, uh, if you fabricate colossal truths, if you tell one lie a thousand times, it will become the truth in people's minds. And it was a very powerful tool that he used to create uh, an environment within which people began to view Jewish people as being in some way subhuman. See, the premise for his lie was that not all men were equally created in God's image. And then he began to fold into that Christians and disabled people, and he began, eventually, of course, became the justification for the murder of millions. It was a huge lie, and people began to believe it. And brothers and sisters, we're in a weird world these days. Like, it's very easy to tell a lie, isn't it? Particularly on social media, particularly with it. Do you know, my son recently photoshopped an image of the moon landing in 1969 where Neil Armstrong, do you remember he put a flag up? My, my son managed to substitute the flag for the US flag and he, he put in the Russian flag instead. It looked really persuasive. <laughs> I was just fun, right? But, but it, it's so easy that we get sold the lie. It, I, the Galatians got sold this lie and it was such a big lie that it was a threat to their very salvation their eternal salvation. And Paul wants to show them that they were running the race well, but this lie had completely put off their stride. Who kept you from obeying the truth, which is obedience through faith? This lie from the Judaizers 
was utterly contradictory to the gospel that he had received from Jesus and the gospel that he had shared with the Galatians. And he said, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you, verses 8 and 9. Rather, it's like a little yeast that works its way through the whole batch of dough. And if you adopt this lie that any works in any way can make you right with God, you will fall under the same judgment. You remember the Lord Jesus when he met the Pharisees in Luke chapter 11 and 12? And they were leading God's people astray with this yeast of falsehood. And Jesus said to them face to face, Woe to you leading people into taking on the impossible burden of being right with God under your own strength. Woe to you rather than trusting in the grace of God and looking to me as the Son. And he says, when the Jews did not have the leaven in their bread, it reminded them of their Savior God, how he saved them from Egypt and offered him his law as a gift, not as a means for burden. The obedience of faith is not the obedience to law. It was how they had been saved and it was how they're saved now. And it's so important that the big lie of works-based righteousness before God is not propagated amongst us. But Paul is hopeful. He says in verses 10 to 12, I'm confident in the Lord, now that I've spoken to you, that you will take no other view. I'm confident that you will understand that oil and water do not mix. And he goes on to say that if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? There's a wedge divided between those who believe by grace and those who continue to try to do their own thing to be right with God. And the cross is scandalous. Cursed is the one who is hung on a tree. And were Paul to add any Jewish custom to the cross of Christ, it would be displaced and diluted. Christ supplemented is Christ supplanted. And Paul here is keen to keep, keep the offense of the cross. He's keen to offend his persecutors. And he uses a powerful form of rhetoric here to wake up the audience to make sure they're still with him. And I'm going to use some powerful rhetoric here as well to make sure you're still with me because he says this as for the banana not just the tip you might as go go the whole way and peel the whole thing and then he says and take the plums too <laughs> do you see he says it right here as for those agitators i wish they'd go the whole way that's a very visceral image isn't it <laughs> but paul says it here and the reason he says it is because that is the requirement of God. In Deuteronomy 23, those who did not have their fruit bowl, so to speak, those who did not have their family jewels, so to speak, those who did not have their private parts were, according to the law of God, not allowed to enter into the temple of God. And what he's saying is if they're bringing this kind of falsehood into your lives, I wish that they would go the full way and cut themselves off, be cut off from amongst the people of God. It's so important, brothers and sisters, that we do not get deluded into thinking that we can contribute to our salvation. The point is that if they were to do this, they would be excluded from the people of God. It's not just rhetoric here. It's the danger of being cut off from salvation in Christ. So we think about freedom from, we've thought about what it means to run the good race. The race is such that you look to the finish line and you wonder what freedom is for. Well, Paul goes on to explain that too. It is not just freedom from, but it is freedom for the law to be fulfilled in the power of the Spirit given to us by the Lord Jesus. 
The wonderful thing about this freedom, brothers and sisters, as we begin to unpack through chapters 5 and 6, is that he calls us to be free so that we might express faith as love for the good of others. Not, verse 13, he says, to indulge the flesh, but rather to serve one another humbly in love. Sin no longer reigns amongst us, but it does remain And the flesh of which Paul is speaking here is those things that we heard described last week as the miserable forces of the world. There's a slavery both for Jew and Gentile still to these forces. Sin still remains. And he says, now be servants of God. Live out your freedom in a way that brings honor to him. Everything is permissible, he says elsewhere, but not everything is beneficial. So live a life of love in service of others. It's not about reward and punishment. That was the deal for the kids. Rather, it's about freedom motivated by the love of Jesus to serve others. Love your neighbor, he says in verse 14, as yourself, because this is how the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, which is what he did for us. And knowing that we're now free to be able to serve one another motivated by the love of Jesus for us in joyous thanksgiving is a wonderful form of freedom. We can use our freedoms to love others. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to the time of election, how often do we think about the implications for us? Our vote is such that we can use that for the good of others, for the vulnerable in our community. How good is it when we use our time to have the Lord's heart for those amongst us who are doing it tough? For the elderly, for the lonely, for those who are widows and divorcees and refugees, for those who are sick. And I have to say at the moment, there are many amongst us who are in times of struggle and suffering. Every week we get together as a ministry team and the list seems to be growing for people for whom we're praying. But the great thing is that we have the privilege of prayer. And knowing that God answers our prayers and indeed also is answering our prayers to see the gospel impact more lives because people are coming into faith in the Lord Jesus. I'd love to end on that up note, loving our neighbor as ourselves and how we might go there, but Paul doesn't land there in this section. He actually gives a word of warning. He says, watch out in verse 15. You know, those words of uh, Mel Gibson in the movie, they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. That's Mel Gibson in Braveheart. I don't know if Wallace really said that, but it sounds good, right? Brothers and sisters, he gave his life for us. And it's with joy that we surrender our life into his and his care. The Lord Jesus himself says in Matthew 16, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. In Romans, Paul writes in chapter 8, those who live by the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live by the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And the Spirit longs for our lives to reflect the love of Jesus. So Paul says, watch out. He says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by one another. 
I know that this goes through your mind because it goes through mine too. But when we sit in judgment of others, when we like to compare and contrast ourselves with the performance of others, it really is an ugly waste of our lives. Particularly when together we are resting in the grace that God has shown us in his son. So when I become a judgmental father, I have the opportunity to press into Jesus, seek his forgiveness, and start afresh. Perhaps as a jealous employee, perhaps as a bitter wife, perhaps as a selfish churchgoer. It's common to all of us. But we have the opportunity to build one another up rather than tear one another down. And the way in which we do that is to continue to point one another to the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So often we go out into morning tea and what do we chat about? Do we give thanks for the way in which we've been shown grace in this last week again by the Lord Jesus? Do we take one another to the word of God and prayerfully look to how we might be serving him in this week ahead? When we read in that chapter from 1 Kings um, 11, what we saw was King Solomon. And he was the wisest, wealthiest man in history. And he got it wrong. And why did he get it wrong? Because he did what God said, don't do. He married a bunch of foreign wives who worshipped the gods of Ashtoreth and Shamosh and Molech. And he began to capitulate and to give himself over to those things. And we journey together in order to protect one another from these ideas, this propensity to idols and immorality. It's a powerful scene in The Chosen in which the Lord Jesus meets one-to-one -one with Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. And you can see Nicodemus in the story becoming utterly captivated. It's based on John 3, utterly captivated with the person of Jesus. And you can see that he longs to follow, but he goes back and he speaks to his wife and he says, but I want to give all this up and follow him. And his wife says, but no, I love my life. Very powerful, difficult tension. Brothers and sisters, as we together walk with the Spirit, may we encourage one another to keep in step with him and keep looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father God, we know that the love of the Lord Jesus will only be really fully expressed in us when we joyfully surrender ourselves to him and express the obedience of faith. We thank you that you've taken us from flesh to freedom for life and a life in which we lose ourselves to him and in doing so, learn what it means to serve others and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Thank you for the model of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the person of the Lord Jesus. And thank you, Father, that the Lord Jesus has ascended and sent his spirit into us, that he enables us to do these very things and that we can't do this in our own strength. But how we pray that you would please help us to press in to him. Thank you that we are truly free to serve him as he has served us. And we pray that we would do this more and more, day by day, with one another, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.